Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Being a Leader Live with Brenda Baird. Tonight, Episode 2, What's Our Role? This is Episode 2 in the series of six uh, programs that are coming to you from your hosts, Henry Schoenfield and myself, Brenda Baird. And we're so excited about this series. It rings true with us personally, and we think it's going to ring true with you too. The series is called Being at Home for the Holidays. And in this six-part series, we're going to focus on helping you discover new ways to concentrate your energy on that which you can control so that you can experience peace and joy this holiday season. So in the studio with me tonight is the Reverend Henry Schoenfield. Henry, welcome to the studio, and let's have a great show. Sounds great, Brenda. It's really great to be here and uh, excited to jump into this tonight. Yeah. I really feel like the platform of our show is to help folks to uh, enjoy their holiday season a little differently than uh, holiday seasons in the past. And um, our last episode together was called Come Together. And we really just took a, a, a real casually deep dive into the fa- the dynamics of family. And we uncovered um, some of the ways that we get triggered. We talked about why it is that we dread coming together with family after we've been apart for some time and, and some of the reasons why that occurs. And it was very insightful. And the episode tonight that we're going to talk about is the ways that we can choose to, to respond to those things. But before we can make a choice, we really have to understand what our role is um, within the family. And you and I have had some great conversation. I'm really going to let you take the lead over on, on tonight's show because we're really basing a lot of this work um, on a book that you're going to share with us and some work that you that you do around family systems. And so I'm just really excited for, for tonight's show. And uh, so I guess from that, I'm really going to just go ahead and let you kick it off, reminding the listeners that you can call into the show live. So if you have a family situation, we're just getting done with Thanksgiving. If you've got something you'd like to share, maybe it's even a funny story about the dynamics of your family, give us a call. That number is 646-716-9397. And just press 1 to get into the queue. So, um recognizing our role within our family system. So talk to us a little bit more about that, Henry. Absolutely, Brenda. So, you know, it's funny, uh, right around Thanksgiving time, we were watching uh, what was a rerun of uh, Saturday Night Live. And there was this one sketch. I I remember when it came on, um, but I'd totally forgotten about it. And uh, what happens in the sketch is basically – Family is around the Thanksgiving table, and then people just start to talk and get into all of their stuff, and finally they end up getting into an argument. And one of the uh, one of the characters reaches over and hits the CD player to play Adele singing uh, "Hello," which is so great. I was I was laughing <laughs> as I was watching the sketch again. Yeah, and I. 
thought, you know, there's the episode right there in three minutes um, <laughs> to talk about what is our part, you know. And you can just imagine person around that table had a part to play in whatever the conflict was that was going on. Right. You know, and it's, it's probably not so dissimilar to our families. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sure it's uh, not. I know it's that way with my family anyway. Oh, absolutely. Um, it would be with my family if we actually got together, but that's a cold, totally different story. Um, <laughs> so if you think, if you were to write a story, based on your experiences of the holidays. Now, it could have been Thanksgiving, this holiday season, or a previous time when people were actually home. If you were to write a story based on your experience, what would the characters be like? Hmm. What would the characters be like? Yeah, so um, similar to you, I don't get together with my extended family anymore um, but when we did get together, everyone certainly did play a role. My, uh, I'm the youngest of three children, um, and there's 10, 11 years difference between myself and my siblings. And so when Thanksgiving would roll around, there really was this uh, role that my oldest sibling, which is my sister, um, sort of almost a, a position of superiority Um, She was Mm. the oldest. She was favored by my parents, it seemed to me. And uh, she sort of took that role of, you know, somehow she did everything perfect, uh, which, of course, wasn't Mm. true. And then there was my brother who really wasn't around very much, but he was very successful in his professional career. So he was he was like this this lone ranger kind of character who came in. But often his conversations were that of. uh, stories about being a victim. Um, mm. His stories were about how he had been done wrong or how work was wrong or, um, you know, people were doing things that just, I don't know, drama, you know, just drama around him a lot. And yeah. Um, yeah. So I never thought until we really started to pull this episode together about, okay, so what role did I actually um, play, you know, around that table. And I, the word that comes up for me, which isn't a very um, positive word, but sort of an antagonist where mm. um, when I would hear the stories, um, you know, I challenged everything. I mm. challenged my mom, I challenged my siblings uh, to the ways in which they were behaving. And so it, it, we never were a family to fight out loud, but um, it was uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah. It was for me anyway. So those are kind of the characters. Yeah, no. And then grandchildren uh, arrived on the scene, and um, and then that was a whole new um, a whole new group of people to um, sort of vie for the attention of my mom and my dad. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So 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 here, what you're saying, you've got in in your family, sort of the characters are sort of the superior one. Uh, slash yeah. favored one, the favored. victim, and the antagonist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, that's so common. And especially then you, you, you mentioned birth order. I think we uh, we might be getting into uh, birth order 
uh, a little bit later on, but you have the, the youngest and the oldest, the youngest, and really, according to a lot of uh, uh, folks in um, systems way of thinking, you know, you have two families um, yes. because they say that, that if there's any more than eight years separating siblings, that you're talking about two functional families. Um, yeah, and, you know, that's really how it felt for me anyway. My By the time I was, you know, seven or eight years old, my siblings left the home to go to college, and we weren't good at family communication, so I never really knew where they went or why they went, and so that was very strange, and then I was alone a lot. Um, my mm-hmm. parents had me at a much older age, and so I always felt more like an only child, and then... Um, occasionally, you know, we would all get together and then it was sort of jockeying for position again. So, yeah, yeah. I get this. I do understand that sense of two separate families. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. You know, and as, as we're talking, I'm smiling because, uh, you know, as, as we've been doing these shows together and, and getting to know each other, there's a lot of places I think where our stories connect. And this is another one of those. So, um, I'm the, the, the youngest of, of six, but we also have two functional families um, because mm-hmm. there's uh, a nine-year difference between uh, the fourth and fifth uh, between my brother and uh, one of my sisters. Um, you know, and, and so as I was thinking some of the characters in, in my family, uh, and I kind of hope none of them are listening, uh, <laughs> we the sort of the responsible one, the morally superior one, uh, the victim, um, the uh, kind of aloof one, the pragmatist, uh, and the escapist. You know, and these are just some of, some of the, the, the folks that, uh, that, are, that are going on. Uh, and I was thinking about when a time was that we're all at play at once. You know, and it's funny because, again, you were talking about how your family didn't get together very often. As I was thinking of this, the the time that came to mind was Thanksgiving 1982. Mm. And I picked that, you know, it's a long, long time ago. But I picked it because it was the last time that I could remember all the living members of my family being together. Yeah. Yeah. So what was so cool about being around the table then was seeing all of these characters, all of these parts at play, and really regaling each other with the stories of how how their own parts showed up in relationship. Um, you know, I remember being kind of enthralled at this this family that I didn't really know, as we said, you know, because my siblings' uh, time growing up together was what was long before. Uh, we were sitting around the table at that time. Um, but, you know, just everybody playing their part. Um, yeah. It's really funny. As you're talking about looking back, and even though 1982 sounds so so long ago, um, I'm hoping that the listeners, the same thing is happening, is to go back to a time when, when, you can vividly remember everyone together and almost uh, watch the movie in your mind on how each person behaved and how the, uh, if there was conflict, how it gets started. Um, 
and how each one each one of us has a behavior that sort of triggers the other one. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it, it's interesting. It's really interesting to do that. Um, and to think about it in that way. Um, yeah. I, I yeah, you know, yeah. what's coming up for me for, for thinking about that time when my family had all been together was just this story of um, because there was such an age difference, they would begin to recall stories of when I was bad or I had done something wrong as a, as a young girl. And it was often the same stories repeated around the table over and over and over. And they got embellished over the years about, you know, the actual facts around what had actually happened when I was a, you know, a, a kid. And, um, what became so painful for me is then that was almost a label that I wore around my neck, um, mm. that I was a rebel, you know, uh, because the mm-hmm. stories that they told were, were that that's how I was. And mm-hmm. that wasn't necessarily true, but that's what they projected a- at the table. And then that could trigger me into, you know, defending myself or, um, or actually what, what typically would happen to me is I would just, get really quiet and sort of um, disengage. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, they would say I was being sensitive. <laughs> and so right. go. Forgetting the whole concept. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, remember, Brenda, there was something that we talked about last time about um, families being one emotional system. So even yeah. as you were just talking then and, you know, how we trigger each other, you know, and you can almost see anxiety moving from one person to another in that system. And so, you know, uh, when we come together and get enmeshed in all of these crazy dynamics, um, it's really, it's the system, you know, it's yeah. the system that, that, that is reflecting its own state. It's the system that, that, I mean, all the characters, uh, you know, that, that really kind of form one part uh, and that the system is, that is trying to express something. Um, yeah. So I yeah, like about- the only problem with, with that expression is that it never really expresses the true problem or the true feeling yeah. or the true position of the person around the table. Instead, it, it almost uh, feels, um, I don't know, it feels like people are poking at each other. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't truly express itself in like a genuine way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's not clear, right? Is if it were clear, then we could deal with what's being expressed. Um, Yeah. But so all of those actions, all the ways that we trigger each other itself are expressions of anxiety that, you know, it, we can focus on the behavior on the thing that, that is really the living out of anxiety, but we never hear really the music behind the words, if you will. Yeah. What's really, what's really it. Yeah. Listeners, I just want to remind you that if you have a story that you want to share with us or you're having a situation with your family that you'd like some coaching um, around. Henry and I are here to help tonight. Just give us a call at 646-716-2000.
888-789-9397 and press one to get in the queue. We really would love to hear from you. So yeah, I like the way you say that, the words behind the music. Um, that's an analogy that I can relate to. I imagine myself um, listening to songs and the first few times you you really can't understand necessarily all of the lyrics or what they mean. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and you're just being swayed by, if you will, the emotion of of the music. Mm-hmm. Which is the same thing that can happen, you know, in uh, in, in families, uh, and especially when you consider that natural anxiety that we were talking about last time that exists in all systems, you know, between uh, belonging and being an individual, you know, between Mm -hmm. being part of the whole and a unique person. Yeah. That's one of the things we talked about on the last episode was um, being a differentiated person. And we didn't really get an opportunity to expand on what that is. And so I wonder if tonight, if you could, for the listeners, sort of expand on what we meant by being a differentiated person. Sure. So differentiation of self. Uh, The easiest way to define it is to think about it as one's ability to separate one's intellectual and emotional functioning from that of the family. Mm. So one's ability to separate one's own intellectual and emotional functioning from that of the family. In other words, it's the ability for us to stand on our own. Um, now, the, the thing with differentiation is that it's, uh, it's, it's not a yes or no. It's gradations you know, from, from a low uh, degree of differentiation up to a high degree of uh, differentiation uh, and we never we never finally get there. There's no real kind of there to get, uh, but it's headed toward uh, greater and greater differentiation. Um, the only trick is that, uh, according to 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 systems theory, that unless somebody does really focused, concentrated work on trying to develop a self trying to differentiate after they leave their families of origin, then they pretty much stay at the level of differentiation that they were at when they leave their family. Yeah. So I imagine this, this, um, this thing we're calling differentiation is almost like when you hear sometimes where people's identity is in their work or people's identity is in their family, where they truly think that they don't exist without that thing. And so in this case, you know, we as individuals feel like we wouldn't exist if we weren't a part of this system. Exactly. Exactly. Differentiation stands in contrast to what, you know, to the, the job or the family that gives us uh, the sense of ourselves. I mean, another way of putting it is that people with high levels of differentiation are neither borrowers nor lenders of self. Mm. Yeah, that's profound. 
And I can see that. I can see that um, in my family and in talking this through with you, this, this being able to be a person, be an authentic person outside of the family and sort of holding on to that, that identity of self, even when you're in the presence of your family. And that's really the ultimate goal, isn't it, of, of this whole entire series is to help people to begin to recognize that so they can reach that state um, where they can sure. hold on to themselves when they walk into those family get-togethers. Right, because it is ultimately it's, it's more challenging to do it with our own family. You know, and I yeah. think this is something that we know instinctively. Um, but many of us have never quite put those words to it because the the tendency to kind of regress is going to be the greatest in the system that produced that sort of regressed self, if you yes. will. Yes, yes. Conversely, self that's created by the family is generally going to be the self that shows up in all of our other relationships. You know, and so mm. if we find that we are having a hard time with relationships at work or having a hard time with uh, relationships with our spouse or with our kids or with, you know, some civic organization, chances are we can look at the patterns of our behavior and notice the part that belongs to us also showed up in our family. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's really, I think, a key uh, learning moment here in this show tonight in that how we develop our sort of family behaviors, our family triggers, all come from those early stages when we are in what we call our development years or our formative years where we're, we're beginning to recognize ourselves as independent and and how that comes to develop has to develop to its greatest extent before we leave the home or before we're out of the home or out of the system on a daily basis. And wherever we walk out at, that's sort of the self that we have to work with as an adult. And this would explain why, if we don't continue to do work to explore this, these areas of ourself, that we can actually walk right back into the family and slip right back into our 10-year-old self or our 12-year-old self and just pop right into that place at the table and behave the way we did at those early moments. And For sure. That's why it feels there, so uncomfortable too, I think. Don't you? That Because you're, you know you're not being authentic. And whenever we're not being authentic, or true to ourself, I think our psyche knows it. Even if it's underdeveloped, I think it knows it, and that's why it's so uncomfortable. Absolutely. I mean, there's something about that role that I can play that is so false, and I know to the core of my being that it's false. I just, you know, well, I would say there's nothing I can do about it, Um, but certainly when I'm in the emotional moment caught with my family, then there's very little that I can do about it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the trick is to work on this sort of stuff when we're not under stress, you know, and even to rehearse, you know, the, the, the ways that we want to respond 
um, with with our families or those who would really trigger us so that we're ready. You know, if you think about it like an actor um, having their lines memorized to the point that that is all they can think about. Well, you have to because then you get into the moment of performance when there's a stage, where there's footlights, where there's an audience, you know, where anxiety is as high as it could possibly be and you still know your lines. Yeah. And so that's one thing with, 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 uh, you know, doing this work in this series right now, that my hope is that our listeners can really um, practice their awareness um, before they go back into a high anxiety situation uh, so that, that they can act just a little bit differently. Yeah. So the really cool thing is we've just concluded with Thanksgiving in the United States. And in our, our, our friends that live in Canada, they would have gone through some sort of Thanksgiving gathering in October. And so we have some more recent um, events where we've been gathered together in, into our family system where we can actually spend some time reflecting about around the table, what are the roles of everybody around the table, including ourselves and foremost ourselves. And that then can tee us up to examine a little bit about those scripts that you talk about and what is the script that I always say, how do I, how do I respond, and what is it that I really want to have happen. You know, we, we talk about this in our core energy coaching um, about how, whatever it is that you sort of anticipate or expect or your intention is around how things are going to happen, most likely that's how they're going to happen. And so having a different intention that I'm going to come to these gatherings now, and I know the role that I've played in the past, but this time I want to, I want to show up differently. Um, that's where the real power is in finding peace, in still being with our families, and yet developing this sense of authentic self. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing to, to really keep in mind as we're doing that, of course, we, we, this discussion exists in the context of other people. But the truth is that even though the family, the group, the system is operating as one, you know, emotional whole, um, we can't do anything about anybody else in that system we can't we can't change the system directly we can only change ourselves we can only look at what is our part in this what am i adding to the system um uh, and because the the thing is that if we try to change another person and i mean everybody has an example of this when they've tried to convince somebody or some of something um, from a family member to a uh, Facebook conversation, you know, it never works. It only <laughs> ends up adding more anxiety into the relationship. Yeah. yeah. In my experience, when I have tried to change the dynamic or, or redirect someone's mindset to be different than what they are, it only ends up providing what I would call 
more ammunition or evidence for them to throw it back at me in hurtful ways in which I then get triggered from again, if that makes sense, you know? Absolutely. And so it just, it's just this hamster wheel that we just all ride on and, and all of us are uncomfortable. Everyone around the table feels it. Everyone has probably the same thought about it's not working, but we're all stuck in this uh, hamster wheel and we're just running it together. And so um, the only real way to find our own true peace is to sort of jump off the wheel for a bit and, and Mm -hmm. watch what happens and try to show up differently. Yeah. 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 That was one of the things we were talking about um, uh, in the last episode, just about awareness. Yeah. Seeing, noticing, you know, because none of this is possible really to, to move towards uh, a, a greater uh, self, uh, a greater sense of differentiation. Um, you have to have some objectivity, some way of reflecting, you know, uh, because if we just go by emotion, then we're never going to get anywhere. Right. Right. And so it comes down to um, really our own emotional intelligence. And that's that's a word that we hear in um, a lot of corporate settings is emotional intelligence. Um, I've also heard it as being able to um, monitor ourselves or um, regulate our emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so any one of those terms really gets to the point that you're trying to make where we can't change other people. We can only work on ourselves. And the only real way to work on ourselves is to sort of regulate those emotions um, so that we can respond in a way that gives us a, a better outcome or at least a more, um, more less stressful situation. You know, because some family members are just out there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and and they may never change. Right. R- right. Well, some people just don't have the awareness. Right. right. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I put it that way because it honestly, it helps me, you know, to, to think that that. Um, we're unaware. I mean, even you and I, we, you know, we're unaware of these dynamics until we see them. Right? Yeah. And then we see them, right. we see them, we, we can't unsee them. But the truth is a lot of people can't see them. Yeah. We talked about a little bit about, um, you mentioned in our one of our conversations about um, sometimes fish don't are swimming in water, but they don't probably even realize that they're in water because right. it's their environment. It's it's all they've ever known, and they just know this is where where I am. This is where I live, and um, the same is true with these systems that we get locked into. Is we really don't even have awareness that we're in a system and what exactly. that system looks like and what what you know, what it does to, to everyone who's in the system, um, the effect that it has on all of us. And yet, if you think about that same analogy, um, and you take the fish out of the water, 
there's a bit of uh, what I just envisioned in my mind was you take that fish out of the water and pretty soon they start gasping for air and they want to get mm. back into the water. And isn't that sometimes how it is for us, right? It's familiar. The family is mm-hmm. familiar. And so I'm going to go right back into it because it's predictable. I know what it is. I know it doesn't necessarily leave me feeling good about myself, but it's familiar. And those are the cycles, um, or the patterns that we talked about in the last episode, these family patterns that we just get caught up in. Yeah. And here's the thing, you know, and that's exactly the familiarity of the patterns is why when we start to do this work, when we start to really uh, work towards greater differentiation, a more highly functional sense of self, we can expect some pushback. Yeah, you know, because people people want us to be who they who we have always been. Is yeah. that's the way that this system works? Um, the good news is that 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 pushback uh, generally doesn't last very long, you know, and especially with people that we have uh, enough close uh, emotional contact with, uh, you know, on a consistent basis, that if if our sense of self um, evolves. If we move toward uh, a higher functioning, a, a greater uh, differentiated sense of self, then the other people are going to also move up. Um, it, it doesn't happen right away, but it does because the, the because that system needs to be in equilibrium. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Um, some other support organizations that I have been a part of in my life have also taught the same theory that if, if I work on myself and take the focus off of the other person and just put the focus back onto me worrying about my behavior, worrying about how I respond, that just simply that act of, of showing up differently and focusing on myself instead of trying to control the situation just automatically shifts other people to behave differently too. And they often get better or at least there's some sort of a change or a movement um, to, to, like you said, some equilibrium because um, for one thing, we're not responding and we're not re-triggering the other person, which is what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. it's funny. That's why in, uh, in a systems approach, uh, to, uh, to to relationship development that often you focus on the, the strongest member of the group rather than the weakest, you know, which is a bit uh, counterintuitive because it would say that if there's one person in the group that's not as functioning, well, you're going to want to put your energy there. But there's not as much opportunity to shift somebody who is less functioning as there is a, per, a shift to person who is more highly functioning. So it's the same thing that you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all of this just happens so unconsciously. Um, I think for many folks who just, you know, wrapped up their holiday visits, uh, they anticipated, you know, 
whatever the dynamic is in their family to happen. And then next thing you know, they're in the middle of it happening and they're like, how did we get here again? You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it just happens so unconsciously and it's so fast. And, uh, and then once you're in, in full blown system mode, it's, it's really difficult to make the changes right then and there. Um, I mean, it's possible to make a change then, but you're really caught up in those moments. Um, that's why the work before you're actually getting there can be so critically important because it just, like you said, the emotions just overcome you and unconsciously you just behave in a, in a way that's familiar. That's a part of the pattern. Um, and it takes a bit of a commitment to say, okay, I'm not going to respond that way this time. And well, however they react to this new way I'm going to show up, I have to remember that I am developing this differentiated self that is, you know, showing up the way that I want to show up in this family. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, one of the things that we know is that, um, that all the patterns exist in that older part of our brain, you know, in, uh, in the, in the limbic part that, uh, it doesn't it has an emotional response but not a rational response and then the rational response coming from the the uh, frontal cortex totally different part of the brain but when the limbic system is fired up you can't think rationally and we know yeah. this from experience that that we've been in arguments we've been in the heat of the moment and we're just going on pure emotion pure patterning no sense of um, grounded, reasonable thought, which is one of the things that that, that is characteristic of uh, a highly developed um, uh, sense of self, that real rational, cool, grounded um, thought. Mm-hmm. So listeners, we're talking about families and the parts that we play the role that we play in our families. And if you have a humorous story or a challenging story that you want to share with us, give us a call. You want some coaching around a particular struggle you're having with a family member or the upcoming thought of holiday Christmas dinner or Hanukkah dinners or (laughs) Kwanzaa or the many other holidays we celebrate in December, give us a call. The number is 646-716. 9397. Press 1 to get in the queue. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love to help walk you through your challenge. So, so we've been talking a lot about the system itself and how it runs, how it gets triggered and how it clicks into, into uh, shape. I guess the, the next thing we really need to understand, um, Henry, is how do we how do we go about shifting that, um, shifting ourselves then to really drill down into what part we actually play um, in these family systems. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the trick here or the key here is uh, is to have some uh, objectivity, you know, and and to know that the, the part that we play there's there's part of it that could just be quite embarrassing when we really see it clearly, you know. And so to come at it with 
not only objectivity, but also a sense of curiosity, uh, of openness, of real compassion, of just wanting to uh, discover and knowing that whatever the part is that you, that we are playing in the system is not entirely of our own choosing. I mean, we may choose to continue the behaviors and the patterns to the degree that we're conscious of them today, but we didn't choose the place in the first, you know, we didn't choose the part in the first place. Just like you didn't choose the, the part that you had in your family. You said right. earlier, they, it was given to you. Right. Um, you know, and so we don't choose it. Uh, we can choose what to do about it. Um, but I, I just want to, I want to be as clear as I can possibly be about this point, because seeing ourselves again, it can be embarrassing to see the yeah. part that uh, we play. Uh, and so I just wanted to, to kind of out myself in this. Um, we were talking earlier about the, uh, characters in my family, the responsible one, the moral, morally superior one, victim, aloof one, pragmatist, escapist. Well, I'm the escapist. Um, you know, and granted, escaping is somewhat of a family tradition, uh, so I come by it honestly uh, enough. But when relationships get really um, fraught, when they get really hot, I get out of there. I bolt, you know, mm. and that's that's the role that I play. You know, and so, so one of the questions that, that yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm curious um, when you say you you bolt. What does talk to us a little bit more about what does that mean to bolt? So what I mean by that is that sometimes it's an actual physical leaving, uh, uh-huh. and sometimes it's an emotional leaving. Um, sometimes it's just checking out of a relationship. Uh, and it has at times in my life been moving from one place to uh, another so that I don't have to deal with the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that even as you're, as you're talking about that, I can see that in my own life and in my own self. I think one of the, strange dynamics is coming from two systems and then having those systems, you know, butt up against each other, that there were times when I'm antagonistic and I want them to, to change and I'm going to force them to change and see the error of their ways. And then at other times really just disengage and really the same sort of thing, just uh, get away from it and not be around mm-hmm. it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can't say, though, that fleeing eliminates the anxiety. It just allows me to go huddle up somewhere by myself and be anxious as opposed to anxious in the group. I don't know how Mm -hmm. it is for you, but my anxiety doesn't actually go away. Oh, gosh, no. I mean, that's what we call uh, distancing. Distancing doesn't help. Uh, You know, it doesn't actually deal with the anxiety that that has... caused us to want to distance in the first place. Um, Yeah. In fact, if anything, doing that can contribute more anxiety to the system. Yeah, I suppose you're right because um, 
it's that whole ripple effect. Whatever we do really does have an effect on the system that we're a part of. For sure. And it, sure. And it can make things, it can make things worse. Hmm. Yeah, this is, it's, it's a, a little bit of a tangent, but uh, just came up to me as you're saying that, uh, you know, it's often said with uh, communication and, particularly in, in families and couples, that we should be able to share all of our feelings, no matter what they are. Well, the truth is that a lot of our feelings are crap. You know, and so why do we want to dump that crap into our relationships? If we could deal yeah. with it on our own, then we wouldn't have to add anxiety to our relationships and things would be a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. The 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 one anomaly with all of the the family work is, in my mind, one of the anomalies is this thought that we walk out of the family system and we try to work on being our differentiated self. But when the emotions and the challenges of the family aren't managed at a family level. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be more difficult for us to sort of keep regulated uh, when we mm-hmm. have interaction with family. I don't know if you find that to be the case with you or not, but um, that's it's sort of how I see my family. Is. They're sort of <laughs> operating at a different uh, vibration, and I don't know that they have the same desire to um, to work on things from at a family level. And so that in itself is a new pain to deal with that, you know, a new set of challenges. And yet it's an opportunity for me to reflect even greater about how then do I want to respond to that? And how can I keep connection to family and still find my differentiated self? Yeah, you know, as you were saying that, Brenda, what came up for me was somebody who's in recovery, you know, and thinking about going home and going back to uh, a quote-unquote alcoholic family or an alcoholic house when when you're guarding your sobriety, you know, and it's a similar sort of thing. Yeah. I actually heard one time, and I know you'll appreciate this statement. Um, and you, I don't know if you follow the work of the Reverend Michael Beckwith um, in his church, church the, the Agape Center in California. He has some really great, um, just some really great wisdom. Um, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. But he says, he talks about um, finding your spiritual self and your relationship with God and with Jesus. And his claim is if you can't, if you can only find God and Jesus on the mountaintop and you can't find God and Jesus in our everyday life, that you really haven't found him at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what came up for me just then when you're talking about sobriety and holding, you know, holding your sobriety so dear, but isn't that also then an, almost another form of control, right? Where you uh, wouldn't go back into situations where you might get triggered because you would not be able to regulate yourself and manage through those times. So you'll oftentimes see 
many true recovering alcoholics that actually still go to the bar that they went to when they were, you know, drinking um, mm-hmm. and, and are able to manage through it. And so that's one of the promises, you know, we kind of made to our listeners early on in the program was that we weren't going to teach them or tell them that they had to walk away from their family and never go back or change the tradition of family of gathering for the holidays. That isn't at all what we were trying to do with this series. We were trying to get people to recognize the role they play in their system and then to examine that and take control of how they choose to show up now, in, a, in really in a new role, right? Their new role in the family. Absolutely. In a role that they, I mean, in, you could say in a role that they choose um, and certainly for themselves in their lives. But the role in the family could really be the one to help families heal and move on. Hmm. Um, so speaking of role, uh, you know, there was one other piece that, that I wanted to get in here before we, uh, before we wrap up in a little bit. And just thinking about role as uh, an expression of the overall level of functioning in the system. You know, earlier yeah. we were talking about birth order. Uh, and that's where uh, birth order can come in um, because you think about birth order being this continuum of uh, over-functioning and under-functioning. And oldest and youngest kids, I think uh, the stereotypical oldest and youngest can um, uh, illustrate what over-functioning and under-functioning looks like. On the one hand, you have this sort of controlling and and wanting to take charge um, person as the oldest and then the slacker as the youngest. Um, yeah. cer- certainly not true in my family, but. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's true in my family, but I do believe I have two separate families and I'm an only child really. So, <laughs> right. so I probably do a little bit of both, right? I. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that's it's it's probably true. Um, yeah. But just to to have some sense of awareness, uh, you know, that many of us in our in 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 our roles, whether that's in our family or uh, in our nuclear family, family of origin, or in our chosen family, can get into this uh, pattern mm-hmm. of overfunctioning, underfunctioning, um, you know, and how that is also an expression of the role that we play. Yeah. So would would I have it correct in helping listeners to understand what over-functioning and under-functioning means? Is, uh, over-functioning would be almost the over-leveraging of certain behaviors and characteristics, um, such as, um, let's take just organizing the family event. Someone who is over-functioning might take complete control where everything has to be just right and uh, has to be a certain way, perhaps can't veer from tradition in any way because then something's not going to go right or this is how we've always done it. Where someone who might be under-functioning might always forget to bring a dish and everybody brings a dish or <laughs> uh, shows mm. up two hours late or something of that. Nature is that would that be a true sort of description of overfunctioning, underfunctioning within a family system? Yeah, I mean, kind of. You know, I mean, if you think 
uh, over-functioning uh, as doing for others that which they can reasonably do for themselves. Okay. You know, and so in the example of that, the, the, the person who is micromanaging the, the family event, you know, to the extent that they're doing for other people what the other people could do for themselves, then, yeah, they're over-functioning. You know, mm-hmm. and on the other hand, somebody who is not doing for themselves that which they could reasonably do for themselves is underfunctioning. Mm-hmm. Yes. And to bear in mind that 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 it's not an either or. That that there are places in in all of our lives where we overfunction, and there are places in all of our lives that we underfunction. Um, you know, and uh, another thing to keep in mind with overfunctioning and underfunctioning is that they're both at the same level of differentiation. You know, you would think that somebody who's overfunctioning is more differentiated than somebody who's underfunctioning, but that's not true. Yes. You know, it's a similar idea or theory in the area of leadership and development in the workplace. Um, is this concept of um, development and being and having skills and talents to do the job that we were hired to do, that each one of the jobs we do is filled with multiple tasks and responsibilities. And we can, in one particular task, be fully independent and work at a very high level. And yet at another task, we might be operating at what we might call an under-functioning um, level. And um, it, it sounds to me like we're talking about the same sort of things and we talk about our personal life is this, um, we are a whole person, but there are places in our lives or situations in our lives where in one case we may be over-functioning and in another case we're under-functioning. And it really depends on the situation that we're faced with in that moment, uh, which way um, we've developed or which or how yeah. far we have developed our differentiated self, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why it's helpful to think about that continuum of differentiation, you know, yeah. that we could be more differentiated in some areas in our life than others. Yep. Yep. That is sometimes too, just to take this to the workplace, which is, you know, where my coaching niche is, is in leadership. Is this is why sometimes we have leaders or um, managers within the workplace who struggle to, to do certain things, like perhaps um, delegate or give performance feedback. Because in their development of their leadership self, their differentiated leadership self, they may not have fully learned what that looks like or what that is and its purpose. And they begin to then over leverage other things that they think they're good at to sort of compensate for, mm-hmm. um, and this is, can lead to burnout and stress. It can lead to poor management. It can lead to really having a bad boss. If the yep. bad boss doesn't self-reflect and, and think about this continuum of, of self and how that relates to the tasks at hand. So there's this over leveraging of skills. So the example that I often give is in organizing. 
Um, someone will often tell me that they, they're the best organizers. They're totally organized. Everything they do is perfect. All my folders are labeled. I have a file for everything. I know where everything is. My desk is clean. I will really question them to look a little deeper at that to see if perhaps maybe they aren't so over-leveraging the skill of being organized that it falls into a category where their perfectionism peeks in and um, they become inflexible and they won't listen to other people's Mm -hmm. ideas. And, you know, and I think the same thing can happen with family as we look at our under-functioning behaviors, how we then can use our over-functioning behaviors to, you know, almost leverage to compensate and it just makes it worse. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we have about five minutes left to the show tonight. Um, We didn't get any callers, but that's okay. I'm hoping people are listening. Uh, Would like to chat a little bit about next week's show. We're going to take a deeper dive into what we're calling the who. And, This is really a part of the coaching philosophy that both Henry and I are trained in, in that the who of who we are and where that comes from and how that gets developed. And so next week we're going to ask you to sort of um, take a, a real hard look and reflect on the role that you play within your family system and the part that you play today to think about that, to think about where you've come from, to think about how those behaviors were um, established, and then um, take some action. So next week's show is The Who from Whoville, (laughs) which, of course, reminds us of The Grinch at Christmas and that whole story. So that will be fun. That show is going to be December 7th. That's next Thursday. And it's right here on the Life Coach Radio Network at the same time. 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central Time. And watch our Facebook pages for the link to the show. Um, So any final thoughts tonight about the role we play in family? Well, so what I want to leave our listeners with tonight is a a course of action uh, in terms of the roles that we play in our family. And there's three steps. You know, first is simply to uh, observe. You know, and practice observing uh, as as much as you can with with compassion, with uh, objectivity, with curiosity, uh, so we can really see clearly. The sec- second step is uh, to think. You know, to think about how what's the role that I play. What's the impact that it has on me and on the system? And what is a different way that I would like to show up in this system? And then finally, to act. To take some new action based on what you want for your, how, to, how you want to show up in your family, how you want your relationships to be. You know, and so observe, think, and act. Uh, mm. And I would just encourage folks throughout the week to practice with this, to play with it, observe, think, and act, starting your own families. But by all means, again, the way that we uh, kind of the role that we play in our family tends to be the role that we play in our life. So look at the the patterns in, in all of your life and just observe 
observe what's happening, think about it, and try taking some new actions. Yeah. That's fantastic. You know, the thing that came up for me when you were talking about that is as we are thinking about our family system, how it affects us, how we dread sometimes coming together at the holidays, and how we wish it to be different. And that's our dream for everyone listening is that this holiday season is going to be different for those people who are ready to to make that shift. The thing that I would like to leave with people is that you can't do or have things the way you want them until you know what you're doing in the problem. So mm. um, I probably didn't say that as eloquently as I would have hoped. Oh, no, that but was beautiful. You My do, gosh, that was beautiful. You can't do what you want till you know what you're doing. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> um, and so it really is a, a matter of doing just what Henry said, you know, this observe. Observe yourself, observe your family, think about your role, and then take some action to show up differently. So another great show, Henry. Thank you for for being a part of this series. I enjoy our work together. And um, we probably should let folks know how they can get a hold of us. So why don't you share with everybody how they can get a hold of you? Sure. So you can find me on the Internet at uh, henryshonefieldcoaching.com. Uh, also on Facebook, LinkedIn, Henry Schoenfield Coaching, uh, and my email is henry at henryschoenfieldcoaching.com. Fantastic. And so we share with you our, our um, contact information so that if any part of tonight's show or any one of the shows in this series is resonating with you and you feel like you have a struggle that you could use an extra hand with, Henry and I are here to help you work through that and make this holiday season. So you can reach me at brindabairdcoaching.com on my website. You can schedule a consultation, the same with Henry, I'm sure. And also you can send me an email at brinda at brindabairdcoaching.com. So with that, Henry, I'm going to sign off. I think that's a wrap. And again, it's a pleasure and have a great week. And we'll be right back here on the air next Thursday night. Sounds great. Have a great one. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.